everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing episode 2 of Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I am joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkie, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am good, man. I'm good, good, good. I am looking forward to talking this over with you. Uh, I am. I think it was really good. I think that's a big caveat there, man. <laughs> We'll get into it. We'll get into it. How about yourself? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. No complaints. Glad to be back on talking about a little Star Trek, man. Yes. So we're going to get right into our review of Children of the Comet, which was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Sarah Tarkoff, while the episode was directed by Maja Vrillo. While on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an inhabited planet. They try to reroute the comet, only to find that an ancient alien relic buried on the comet's icy surface is somehow stopping them. As the away team try to unlock the relic's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent the USS Enterprise from interfering. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Jonathan Shorts, what are your high-level views of this episode? Well, first, can I say Trick has not had a great history in diverting comments? Well, do tell. Do tell. <laughs> well, just it, it's always when I, there was a Voyager one where the comment was actually a, a like a machine that was trying to destroy this planet so they could cause them to evacuate and win it. There was another one where it was actually a ship. I forgot which series that was on. Like every time there's a comet heading to a planet and one of our Starfleet ships try to redirect it to save them, it's always not a comet. (laughs) So so anyway, that going in, I I saw this. I was like, that's not a comet. Something's going to happen. And of course it did. But anyway, I digress from that. I, I I did enjoy this episode and, you know, in the memory of Kyle, I would sit down to try to write like some beats, but I figured, you know what? I cannot even come close to what he does. <laughs> well, do you have something you'd like to share? Well, I, I tell you what the very first line of it was, and I couldn't really get past that was we begin and end with a philosophy that always wins. And I say that to say mm. it's the, Classic. And we said this last week and I don't want to continue beating a dead horse, but like it, it's classic trick. We have a problem and it's a problem that you could like literally see happening soon, if not now. You know what I mean? It's presenting real world issues that we can come up with Star Trek like solutions. And I I loved it, man. I loved it through and through. Maybe I. I don't want to use Jeremy's line as a filler episode. Mm, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, I think it helped with some character development, and that was the point of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, truly. And it wasn't really much more than that. But for it being that, it was awesome. I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like this and probably what we're going to get a lot of in this season, and I'm loving it, actually, is these character focused episodes with a problem sort of in the background right we do have this overarching thing that they have to 
actually fix or, or resolve. But I'm lo- digging getting into some of these characters, their character traits, getting their backgrounds. Like I said in the last episode, two episodes in, we know probably way more than we do of the Discovery <laughs> crew. So I'm loving that, man. One hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I just I hope they kind of mix it up a bit. You know, maybe one, you know, one episode is more of the problem focus, less character yeah. building. And then we go yeah. back to some character building, you know, mix it up. Well, but you got to look at how much we actually got in this episode. We got uh, obviously a lot of background for Yahura, but we also get a lot of background for, well, some background for Hemmer as well, which I really enjoyed. Yes. A little nugget from Ortegas as well in this episode. <laughs> that was pretty good. And that's what they classically do in these Star Trek episodes is sprinkle in some of these character traits that we can hold on to going forward. The whole episode doesn't have to be about each character, but, you know, give us a little nugget from one or two characters every episode. And you know what I like about these particular characters versus the uh, Picard and all the other ones in Discovery, which I may, maybe Picard could be a little closer to what I'm going for, but I feel like here you're going to have a variety of different fans rooting for their own bridge crew hero. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. Like it's going to be, you know, I think back to TNG and you can talk to any Trek fan and who is your favorite on TNG? You're going to have lots say Data, lots say Riker, Picard, maybe somebody will say Deanna Troy. Worf, you know what I mean? There's always that favorite go-to. Same thing in Voyager, and I feel that happening here. Man, I'm really digging Artigas. I think that's going to be my favorite character. Really? I sensed it last episode, but in this episode, <laughs> it confirmed I'm going to love this character. You know, she kind of reminds me of Jet Reno's character in Discovery. Mm, she reminds me a bit more of Tom Paris. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, well, dare I say, maybe a better pilot? Ooh, well, we're going to get into that Ooh. later. <laughs> but I want to hear it one more time. What was your beat? We begin and end with a philosophy that always wins. Ooh, I have to write that down somewhere. That's really good. <laughs> Kyle is going to have to come with it next episode. Oh, no, no. I can listen. He'll get past one line. I, I wrote that one line and then I was like, done. I was exhausted. <laughs> So we start off the episode with a bit of hazing Lieutenant Ortegas of Cadet Uhura as they head for dinner in the captain's quarters. First off, let me say, I love the whole dinner set piece sequence. It just felt like home. I mean, even even more so than, you know, we had the whole Thanksgiving thing in the in the last well, a few seasons ago in Discovery. But man, this really felt like they were bonding. Yeah, I, I kind of equated it to uh, you remember Cisco did the kind of dinner in his quarters or in the world he cooked and they, everybody was there and they were tasting like I, and it felt it had the same feel for it. like everybody felt comfortable and at home. Yeah. And I even seen something on the webs about this episode and they were just kind of referring to it as like Anson Mount just kind of reminded you of a Star Trek father in that episode. Indeed. Yeah. There was no question he is the leader of that ship. Very much so. (laughs) No question. (laughs) Let's talk about Hemmer. A Enar, Enterprise's chief of engineering. Yes. So I have to throw it to you, and I know you're an Enterprise guy, Star Trek Enterprise guy. Uh So where have we seen Enarians, if I'm thinking that's the right name for the group, Enarians before, and (laughs) what popular Star Trek race are they related to? 
All right, so the Inarians are, I, I don't know if they ever say it Inarians. I think they just say it Inars, but. Inars? Yeah, I, I could be wrong. We have to no, well, I made that up, that. so I don't, I don't <laughs> okay. read that. <laughs> Inars, that makes more sense. They are, I don't know if you would say the same species, but they're, they're basically Andorians. Yeah. But they have been forced to live underground on Andor. And it's very cold, which is why they're all they're all going to have kind of like the pale flushed skin. They are all mostly blind. I don't I don't think we ever saw one that could actually see, but they make up for all of that with their telepathic prowess. And we saw them in the Enterprise. I think it was a season four episode called The Enar. Yes. So for reference, if you want to go back and watch that, which I will be doing, by the way. Season four, I want to say episode 13, but I need to go back and make sure. And that was a two-parter, I think. Oh, cause really? They, yeah, because they were dealing with, well, spoilers. But <laughs> that was, a, at the time, the Romulans had this ship that was, like, highly maneuverable and camouflaged really well, could change shapes at the drop of a dime. And, like, they couldn't figure out what kind of computer system was doing it. And come to find out, it was being powered by the telepathy of an Enar. Oh, how dare they? How dare they? <laughs> so, yeah. Speaking of telepathy, they're, you mentioned they're blind and they have this form of precognition and telepathy, which all is freaking cool. And of course, we got a great demonstration of that with Spock and Himmer as they kind of <laughs> once again was hazing <laughs> Cadet Yehura a bit. So I thought that was all fantastic. Shocking that Spock was in on this. <laughs> <laughs> that that seems like a very logical waste of time. Well, he is half human. He is. He, is, he was he making is. a point. He was just making a point. I, I kind of get it. I do. I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. I, I wouldn't have expected. Like, it was a good twist because I wouldn't have expected. Like, when she said, oh, you guys are messing with me. I'm like, how can you think that when Spock's involved? But sure enough. <laughs> Speaking even more to Spock's laughter in this episode or playfulness, we get this reoccurring message in the episode. And it starts off when we have Pike telling a story about when he was working as, I guess, a security officer. And he chased a Nausicaan with no pants. And he trips <laughs> on the pants and he, his, his lieutenant tells him, oh, you might be in the wrong field. You know, <laughs> you don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes things go so badly, you just have have to laugh at it. Yes. And great that we got that reoccurring notion throughout the episode. And again, the bookend with Spock actually giving a very fake laugh near the end of that episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I, so let me ask you this. Have we saw Vulcan laugh before that were not like was not under the influence of something else? I don't think I have. I don't think I have. I certainly remember times when they were maybe in Pump Far or yeah. something else was going on that was screwing around with them. You know, we get the famous, was it a dream sequence with Tuvok uh, crying and laughing at the doctor when he was up there singing? I think oh, was, yeah. <laughs> that was the doctor. The doctor was experimenting daydream. with daydreaming. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we've ever seen it much in... People, if you're listening, hit us up at fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias to let us know where we're wrong here. Because, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything myself. Yeah, I can't either. So that would technically be a first if it's so, even though it wasn't a real laugh, but he was not <laughs> under the influence of anything and he tried to make it happen. He was making a funny. So let's talk about Yahira's background. Any particular part of it that really caught your attention? Because I thought it all was pretty, pretty interesting. 
Uh, I think from the original series, we knew that she spoke Swahili. And if I'm remembering that correctly, but she makes more mention of where she's actually from and the different languages that she speaks. Wasn't it 31 languages and 12 of them were from her homeland? Well, it was it was 37 languages, 22, which are native to Kenya, which she said she she's. Kenyan. Oh, OK. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't. And again, I'm not a um, original series guru here, but I did not know that about her. It was it was I mean, I knew that she was a very skilled linguist and communications officer. I mean, obviously, you have to speak a few languages, but I mean, that's kind of challenging. Hoshi Sato's. Yes. I don't remember how many she actually spoke, but I don't think it was that many. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, she's coming in as the hot shot. Right. From Starfleet, which I really didn't know that either. So I like that story element that they brought in. And I love the fact that she's the hot shot and everybody thinks she's so great. And in deep down, she really doesn't want to do it. She's not into Starfleet. That's very, very interesting to me. And I was surprised by that. So if you're not already in Tasha's after the snap discord, you should definitely join for anybody listening. And I'll put the link somewhere in our show notes. But I believe it was Angus from that Discord channel who said they were making a bit of an allegory to uh, how um, Michelle Nichols wanted to actually quit Star Trek. And of course, she was edged back on to continue because of Martin Luther King Jr. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He told her. I think it's outlined in that documentary that's on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I still have not watched that yet. It's have you good. watched it? Yeah, you should watch uh, it. It's pretty good. Yeah. I've been meaning to. I just hadn't had a chance. Yeah, but but she was, um, you know, Martin Luther King told her to keep doing it. You are an inspiration of what the future can be. So I think that that makes a lot of sense to me that they put this in this character's background. I really, really love that. Yeah, that would be very awesome. That would be very awesome. But what I didn't get was the tragedy of her background that I, I was really surprised by it. Basically, her whole family being killed. That's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty tragic. So I, I don't know if I liked having that story. Why is that? I don't know. I just I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like you hear that like a lot of times in Starfleet, the main characters or the heroes or the you know what i mean they always have they've lost their parents some kind of way or one of their parents and it's always the ones i mean you look at seven of nine she lost her parents you know what happened to picard's parents i mean you could say data's parents his mom died and she was turned into a robot and all that i mean it it happens you know uh it's almost like low-hanging fruit yeah and and i mean i get it's not a problem with it i I liked it but i don't know I don't know if I would have put it in this one just to, I don't know what we gained from it, you know? Yeah. I will say I absolutely love the part of the episode when Pike actually choked up when he was saying, where do you see yourself in 10 years? In 10 years, yes. Because that's that's when 10 years is coming to, he's seeing his future, his fate, which is something else I kind of, when I was trying to put together these beats, I was trying to figure out something to use because it, this episode had me thinking like from beginning to end is like you have Pike battling with his known or he think he knows his fate. Yeah. But this whole episode pretty much revolves around faith. Yeah. Fate versus faith. 
is he's going to accept his fate or is he going to have faith that that's not what he's that the way he's going to end up, which I guess we have to if we want to stay in canon. Right. It, it seems like they're making this season an exploration of him coming to terms with his fate. And I really loved how when you dig into the, the, the nuts and bolts of this episode, the comment is really a good stand in for that. As these these shepherds, these zealots had <laughs> faith that this comet would do what it's supposed to do, whatever that is. Right. That's what's supposed to happen. And I really love that continued exploration. So we have this ancient comet in the Persephone system headed toward an inhabited planet, Persephone 3, inhabited by the Deleb. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I really love how Pike thinks they're going to be done before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I love my job. <laughs> and I mean, it was a pretty good sequence, though. He's like, okay, you're going to do this. We're going to do this, do this, do this, do that, do that. Yeah, I got this. I yeah. love this job. Yeah, it was awesome. The ultimate confidence, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you have to know, you're on Star Trek. This is not going to go well. <laughs> did you get the Sam Kirk mustache Easter egg there? I did not. I was wondering about that. So Pike makes a comment about Sam Kirk's mustache saying he likes it. You know, it's pretty cool. Starting to grow on him or something. Yeah. (laughs) So if you go to the TOS episode, Operation Earth, Sam Kirk is in that episode, but he dies. He dies. And I had to think about it. This might, well, spoiler, he dies. (laughs) And I was thinking this might be the thing that triggered a long line of relatives playing the same, being played by the relative actor, in Star Trek, because guess who plays Sam Kirk in that episode? Who? William Shatner. Really? <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> but guess what? He has to differentiate himself from his brother. A mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. I did not know that. Love it. Love it. Love it. So again, check out Operation Annihilate if you want to get the backstory on that one. Yeah. So Nurse Chapel and Spock. They continue to flirt a little bit, right? <laughs> that was pretty good. Man, kudos to Spock for <laughs> for spitting the game and not knowing it. <laughs> Aren't we all just clueless sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> we are. And that's probably the one that wins out all the time anyway. Yeah. Of course, your hero sees it all. Mm, what do you think about, uh, what's the, the security officer? I keep forgetting her name. How did you feel about her interactions with Spock anymore? When uh, Nurse Chapel was giving them their injections and she was she's just kind of a butt to them. <laughs> I just think that's who she is, which I love. She wasn't a butt to Spock. Uh, I don't think she has any, any hots for Spock or anything. I, th- I just think that's how she is. I feel like she was picking on our on our young cadet here, which I guess is part of the hazing part. You know, let's keep this hazing thing going, I feel. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was like, man, they just got this painful shot. And yeah, yeah, you could take it. But you're like, yeah, when you're recovered, you get up and get, get your weapons. <laughs> that just kind of stuck out to me. So let's talk about getting to the comment. Kirk goes down, which is our resident xenoanthropologist, which, you know, same thing Burnham was as, as well. Right. But after he goes down, we have to depend on Yuhira to use that hot shot skill that she has to get us out of this situation. How did you feel about the singing, man? Because I have to admit, I've said this many, many times, as witnessed by Saru singing at the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I hate random singing in my shows. 
<laughs> but knowing the history of Nichelle Nichols as you hear her on TOS, I and the actual logic used in the deciphering of this language, I think I was okay with it. What what about you? Yeah, I'm listen, I'm I'm far from one that loves singing in any of my TV. I <laughs> I am against musicals just if I want to hear music, I will listen to music. I don't want to watch my music. <laughs> that being said, they did set this up. I mean, we we knew that Michelle Nichols were, was a singer. We've seen her sing in an episode or two in the original series. They kind of introduced that tidbit on the last episode of Strange New Worlds that she could sing. So we knew this was coming. Yeah. They didn't break out in a random <laughs> song, right? Yeah. I like that the fact that they kind of made the relationship between math and music and they kind of and they kind of reinforced that by allowing Spock to jump in on it. So your first yeah. thought is, man, how can I didn't know Spock could sing, but it really doesn't matter if he can sing or not, because they've already established the fact that music musical notes are just numbers yep. at his base. And a Vulcan will know numbers more than anyone. So if he knows the numbers and the math, why couldn't he sing? Dude, I really appreciated it watching the second time. The first time it kind of threw me out of for a loop, but <laughs> yeah, it 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 brought the level of this episode up tremendously watching it again. And speaking of Lieutenant Singh in that part, I would have been like her. Cause she was like, I was just figuring this crap out. I don't know what any of this music, three fifths or whatever, whatever it means. I don't I don't know. Y'all figure this crap out. Exactly. She's she like, give me something to shoot and I'll do that. So let me ask you this question. So we've seen a similar situation in Discovery in the final few episodes. Oh, boy. Who did it better? Boy, do I have this written down. <laughs> well, let, let, let me say this real quick. Uh, Celia Rose Gooding, the, the new Yuhira, she won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album, Jagged Little Pill. So if you want to go check that out and see what she did there, definitely seek that out. But yeah, I swear to you, I have the same question written down. Who did it better, Discovery <laughs> Season 4 or this one episode? And I'm sorry, but I have to say, even though I do not know music one bit, I feel like the explanation was more to the point, more relatable and more understandable, even though we get this highly complicated, oh, emotions are math is math in discovery. I just feel like here it made a little bit more sense. Yeah. So and I kind of went right along with you. Like, I think I think discovery had a great idea. And they put too much into it. Strange New Worlds was kind of like, here's the way it should have been done. You guys didn't have to go that far into it. And that's always been, again, through throughout Trek, when there's an issue with the communicators and we have to figure out a way to communicate, you don't want to get lost in translation. And, and that's, you know, air quotes. I don't like we don't have to get bogged down in the specifics. We just need to communicate. And I think we did it very well here, whereas Discovery, I think we went too far into the science of it. Yeah, there's definitely a level of techno babble that you can grok and easily understand. And again, like in Discovery, they kind of just went too deep with it, uh-huh. which it probably all was logically sound and made sense. But after about the 20th uh, or 30th minute of them talking about it or the third episode of them talking about it, I'm like, hey. Okay, and the, the fact that all of a sudden it's so complicated, and then all of a sudden they can have full-on conversations <laughs> when not just not long ago you could barely get a word across, and now we can have an emotional dialogue with the book. It, like it just it made no sense. Like there's no way Saru learned how to code it that fast. 
So we just type it away. Just type it away. Like, when did we design this interface? How did he learn how to use it that fast? You know, like this one, Leah, it was very simple. And like you, like you said, it's, it's acceptable. It's plausible. I can see that happening. I can see that happening now. If we had two people, a math expert and a singer get together and having to communicate with a species that only could communicate through musical sounds and notes, I could see that being plausible today. 100%. I 100% agree with you, man. Uh, let's talk a bit about Spock's leadership skills because Spock is kind of in charge and he has to give this pep talk. Yeah, I uh, I liked it. I liked it. I've, you know, I, I went, I kind of thought back on some of the leadership roles of other Vulcans in past. And, you know, you go back to T'Pol and she has some times when she had to step in and be a leader. But T'Pol's problem was she just had a hard time letting go of the Vulcan ways yeah. of the logical ways. Same thing with Tuvok, which I think yeah. Tuvok eventually would kind of come around and start to trust people, but still the same thing. But here Spock just struck me as more of a leader. Mm, really? I, I don't know why. Like I, I feel like they, I don't know how to quite explain it. Like if you would have put, let's say if this would have been, Tom Paris and Ensign Kim and uh, I don't know, the doctor, like who's going to take the lead in that? Right. Yeah. Like it, like who's going to step up and be the leader and who are they going to listen to? In this case, I think he was just the obvious choice, the way he kind of spoke and the calmness of him. And I know it's just the bulk and logic. Yeah. Uh, but even the he saw. The first time, I mean, he saw both times that a pep talk was needed. Yeah. He failed the first time. <laughs> he failed the first time. But the second one, which I don't even think he meant to give a pep talk, was a great pep talk. But yeah. the fact that he saw that it was needed yeah. it speaks a lot about his leadership. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Even though he couldn't quite land it the first time. <laughs> but you said, keep your day job or something to that effect. <laughs> Right. He definitely stuck it, stuck it the second time. And just to get, just to convince a scared cadet on her first away mission and their lives is depending on this cadet doing something that she obviously can do, but never has done before in a situation like this. Like, and he, he realized that he had to convince her and get her comfortable to do it. Now, I have a question on whether or not she really did anything. Maybe it was just luck, but a lot of trick is luck and science yeah. and knowledge put together. So, yeah, I mean, she figured it out, even getting to the end where she deciphered the remaining music to figure out what either the comet was trying to tell them or had already told them what was going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> what it, however you interpret that. <laughs> right. So they get this. They get the shields down eventually. Back on Enterprise, Pike makes some new friends. What do we think of the Shepherds and their protection of the Maha Neat? I thought it was good. I, I like the character. I like. I like the fact that they were overmatched by these species, so they had to figure out another way to get it done. And I just kind of like the. Uh, again, I keep talking about how different things in Trek, but Trek always brings a issue. That we deal with on a daily basis to their world on a different, you know, as a different, different scale. And you have these zealots that are 100% have faith that this Mahanit is going to do what it's supposed to do. And they're going to protect it at all costs. And whether you think it sounds crazy or not. And, you know, on Pike's side, he's like, these people have lost their minds. And we see that a lot today. We see people that believe in things so 
I mean, flat earthers, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we look at them as, well, I'm not going to say we, I like you. <laughs> how can you believe that? That is no possible. way. But they have 100% faith. And who are you to question their faith? And it goes into the same thing here. So to see these shepherds and I think the writers did a great job with the titles here. Yeah. Well, even if you look at like some of the sacred lands on Earth right now where supposedly only a certain group of people should be there or sacred tombs or whatever, there's definitely a comparison to different things here on Earth that people are very religious and will fight over, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's good, man. And it, and it, and then, it, you know, it's well, I don't want to jump to the end, but we kind of get to the end and it's still not it's still a question of yes. who was right. Was it all? Well, just like <laughs> compared to, to Picard, was it always meant to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Timey wimey, you never know. Oh, man. Well, let's, let's get into that fight with the aliens. And one of my favorite, most favoritist parts of the episode <laughs> is they come up with a plan to get in front of the comet and... Ortegas has her own evasive maneuver, evasive <laughs> pattern, Ortegas Gamma 1. So in the long lineage of hotshot pilots, where are we going to rank Ortegas two episodes in? Because he is really starting to get my vote. Oh, man. So let's say, let's just, let's just, I know we probably don't have a lot of time, but let's, just, okay. So we have Ortegas, we have Tom Paris, but you cannot forget about my guy from the Enterprise. Mayweather? Mayweather. Yeah. <laughs> Mayweather was good, man. Yeah. And he did it with stick and rudder. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It, it wasn't computers. He had actual stick he had to fly. And he actually had an episode where he flew through an asteroid field. Yeah, but man, dude, what they did visually yeah. with this big freaking, well, she calls it a small ship, but then you heard her say it's actually a big ship. <laughs> Pretty big ship. <laughs> but what she's able to do with this ship in this episode, you know, of course, the graphics and the CG are amazing. But oh, my goodness. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. She was uh, very much doing the elusive thing in a very awesome and interesting way, which yes. had me glued to the television set. So let me ask you this. All right. Is she... Let's say the top. She's in your top three, obviously. Where does she fall in that top three so far? Oh, man. Pilots. I think I always have to give it to Tom Paris just because I like the storylines we've got with him. But as far as skill, I don't know if there's anyone that's much better. And I'm pretty sure we're missing out some folks. So, guys, again, if you're listening, hit us up on the socials and email and we will talk about it. But these are the ones I love the most. And I really love Tom Paris and Ortega's is a close second right now. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. I still had to put Mayweather at the top for me. But I mean, there's some scenes where uh, Jadzia Dex was flying the Defiant, and those those are some pretty good moves. So I I don't know, but still, Mayweather has done some things on it with the Enterprise that with NX01 that I don't think can be topped easily. But we'll see. We're only two episodes in, and she's still part of that conversation, right? Oh yeah, for real. They man, they it, just by them putting that pattern in. You know, just <laughs> blew my mind. Do you think she made that up on the fly or that is an actual oh, thing from her lineage? She has uh, hubris. She has locked those in and has been saving <laughs> them for this very situation. <laughs> oh, so she just got a bank. She's like, I'm going to use this one day. <laughs> yeah. And I really love how I think that 
I think that Discovery has took a big blow for this other show to take place in this timeline and people just not care. People just buy it. You still have a lot of touch screens here. You still have right. the updated sets. You don't hear any people, anybody yelling and talking about, oh, it shouldn't look like that. You know, like they right. did Discovery time frame. So, yeah, I, I just love that people have come to the point where we're not even thinking about that. Just give us a good show with awesome stuff and we're going to love it. So, yeah. Well, you know where, it's, where that works, though? It's because we're on the Pikes Enterprise and it technically is not anything we've seen before. Technically, technically. but the same ship that we have seen. <laughs> Right, but I mean, you don't even think about that. You're just you're thinking about this as Pike. Yeah. It's Pike's ship. It's Pike's crew. It's Captain Pike. Yeah, we're not thinking about it's TOS. Well, it's we're the not. Enterprise. Yeah, we're, we're not. not. I'm sure there's a a huge group of people are relating everything back to TOS. <laughs> well, listen, believe it or not, and I, I have a news feed that comes to my phone just about Star Trek, and you know, every time an episode premieres, I start looking, reading it all the comments and reviews and i have seen maybe one person say and it wasn't even that it was negative they just kind of pointed out that you know hey there's a issue that this may not be (laughs) the exact but you know it's what can you do right like they couldn't they couldn't make it look like the tos yeah right and i don't take anything from tos but like we're many, many, many years ahead in technology like we want to see it pretty and nice and i think everybody's okay with it yeah, I've seen nothing but love for the most part as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad that's the case and hopefully it continues. So sublimation is the conversion between the solid and gaseous phases of matter with no intermediate liquids phase. What? <laughs> so, sublimation. <laughs> what Spock did to the to the to the right. to the comet thing. Yeah. I, how did you like this plan to actually influence the comet without touching the comet as Pike so earnestly promised to the alien shepherd. <laughs> I, uh, so here we go with techno babble that I just couldn't, <laughs> and I'm usually okay with it, and I'm great with it this time. I, I absolutely understood not one thing. The best way <laughs> I could make it work in my head was that he was flying so fast right up next to it, and the heat built up, and there's a friction reaction that caused maybe some rocks to break off and push it off the trajectory. That's just kind of what maybe all that meant. Who knows? (laughs) But it was great. It was great scenery, right? It was great CGI. uh, And it was a spot plan. What do you expect? Yeah. And and, and basically he didn't go against his word. He didn't break his promise. And and I think for all intents and purposes, you're right. They just heated it up and it fell off. (laughs) Thus changing the trajectory of said comet. Right. And and fulfilling all the promises of this religious entity or being or whatever, this thing flying through space. You know, I, I really loved how Pike presented the plan or well, not the plan. He presented an ultimatum to the shepherds and it really wasn't a possible choice. And I always love impossible choices in Star Trek. <laughs> and it was, it was believable, right? Even when we know that's not the case, it's still looking at him in that moment. I was like, that really could be the case. Like, yeah. I really believe it. Like, I, I don't, I can't say enough of how great of an actor Anson Mount is. And I can't say enough about how great of a captain Captain Pike is that yeah. we're starting to see. Yeah. And maybe that's why he was the beginning and everybody built from him. Yeah. That yeah. It, it, that was an awesome. Just that scene. That, I, I love that scene. It spoke volumes of the actor and the character. And again, by the end of this episode, I'm having this 
warm, fuzzy feeling in my chest. Like, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, and just again, beautiful moment for the episode. They do this thing to keep this comet from actually hitting Persephone 3. And what does it do? It fulfills the promise of the zealots or of the shepherds and brings life yes. to this planet. Such such a beautiful thing. Which leads you back to wonder, is it really faith? I mean, is it really something else at work here? And you don't know. And at that point, these shepherds, you all of a sudden can't really deny. Huh. Which makes Star Trek so good. Yeah. When you get to things like this, this is awesome. And it leaves you... Like, I left this episode satisfied that we found a problem, we solved a problem, but it also left you with a thought to think about. Yes. And I hate to bring it up, but it is starting back next month. But it did give me the feeling I had in some Orville episodes, honestly, where I was just left thinking, huh? Yeah. Yes. I love that. And again, I just always go back to that for me is why I love Trek so much. Yeah. That's why I've watched all of this trick all of my life is because I love these moments like this. I love how they do it. And I love how they wrap it up at the end. So with that, any other additional thoughts on this episode before we wrap this up? Man, nothing. Like I said, I just I just hopefully they continue with what they're doing and hopefully we have many, many seasons of it. Oh, yeah. It's just a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. (laughs) Yes. And with that, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I'll go first. All right. Again, my first time watching, I was a little thrown off by the music thing. But when I watched it again, man, it got the warm and fuzzies and my heart was full and I was thinking more about the episode. (laughs) So I'm going to have to give it a five. Awesome. What say you, sir? Again, I love this episode. I really did. And I kind of started. I said maybe or, you know, I think I liked it. But, you know, after talking, talking it through with you and talking about things, I can't. I can't I can't come up with a negative about this. So I, I have to say five. Now, I say that I say five with the with the statement of they can and it they can and it will be a better episode. And I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do when I see it. Yeah. But to say this was worse than a five. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, I, I can't say that I disagree, man. Totally. So, guys, what are your thoughts on the episode? Are we are we rating it a bit too high with our double fives here today? <laughs> Let us know. Send that into fans at DiscussingTrick.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrick on any and all social medias, which you can also use to respond to Trek Trivia. John, what is the Trek Trivia for this week? All right. So we're coming fresh off of the uh, Picard series finale and we get to meet our fellow Wesley Crusher. And Wesley Crusher, you know, we we know at the episode in TNG where he goes with the traveler and we don't really know what happened to him. Well, he comes back as he's also a traveler and they're in control where they supervise the supervisors like Gary Seven and all of them. (laughs) So here's a question. There was an early draft of that TNG episode Journeys In that included a revelation that one of our fan favorite reoccurring guest characters was actually in fact a traveler do we know who that was going to be reoccurring guest character on tng see that's a hint it's a reoccurring guest only reoccurring guest i can remember is whoopi (laughs) goldberg 
I could tell you it's not her, but I'm not going to tell you yes or no on any of them. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> so the question is, what reoccurring guest character on The Next Generation was almost debuted to be a traveler in the TNG episode Journey's End, but was cut from the script? That is correct. And I'll give you another another small hint that they can go and try to do some research on. So this is mentioned in one of the com- Next Generation companion novels. I'm not going to tell you which one. Ooh, interesting. But the answer is there. All right. Well, you have your homework, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely join us again next week as we keep this thing going for Strange New Worlds. I'm having so much fun reviewing these episodes. Absolutely, man. I can't wait for the next one. I cannot wait. I've watched this one twice. Well, two and a half times because like an hour before we started, I put it on again just to watch it. And I caught myself watching it, you know, just for some more notes for the podcast. But really, it was just to enjoy it again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us always. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com oh man are they gonna be able to keep this up (laughs) but i don't see why not you know i it will be harder to keep up picard and discovery because of such a grand continuing storyline yeah right it's so much like these your writers can show up for work and say, all right, we got to write a 45-minute episode or 50-minute episode. Yeah. And they can do that. And they can work on just that 50-minute episode and be done with it. Whereas, you know, Discovery Picard, they're going to have to sit down and come up with this 50-minute episode. But they also have to keep in mind what's going on at the yeah. beginning, where the end is going to come in, all the tie-ins. Connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's extremely hard to do. So an effort. <laughs> yes. So this I could foresee going for quite a while yeah. as long as it's being received well. And I didn't mention this up top, but, you know, another one of those stories, this uh, Strange New Worlds premiere uh, was the highest or the most popular Star Trek premiere ever. Oh, what? Really? Yes. Somewhere wow. I've seen that. I didn't save it. I should have saved it. Wow. But yeah. More people watch this than the other, which is probably hard to track all of that. You know, TOS premiere, which I'm pretty sure TOS probably didn't premiere very well. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, DS9, TNG, I mean, that's times they probably could have tracked that. So Yeah, and I think they were playing it continuously on YouTube, streaming live for like 
a day or something. Really? I did yeah. not know that. I jumped in there for one episode. It was it was interesting to hear other people give the warm praises about the, <laughs> the episode. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I just hope they keep it up, man, because it seems like they're doing everything right. And maybe, just maybe, the other series can... I, I like the tentpole overarching thing, but maybe we can do it more in a subtle way like they're doing here, where, of course, we're dealing with Pike's fate, right. but it's not the driver for everything we see over the course of 10 episodes, you know? Right. It's because we kind of already know it, right? So yeah. it's just, yeah. I mean, in the back of your mind, you're looking for those subtle things that may change that fate. Yeah. But he's kind of accepted it and everybody else has kind of accepted it. So it's not really a big deal in the show, but it's kind of a big deal to us. Yeah. Yeah. And to him specifically, and not to, him to everybody else on the ship. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a, I think that's a good overall arc that they're working. But these little self-contained episodes are amazing. 